Hi, welcome to Viaspace Ask an Engineer podcast, where we will be answering questions that you might have about space, rockets, and engineering. I'm your host, John Humphreys, and I'm joined today with Rick Powis and Josh Dugan. Mr. Josh, can you tell us a little bit about yourself and what you do? Yeah, my name is Josh Dugan. I work for Viaspace. I'm an electrical engineer associate here. Um, I help facilitate some of the design and uh, picking up components. I want to specialize in RF communications and communications from vehicle to ground. Wow. What made you uh, interested in this field and get into it? Um, going through school, you kind of have different classes you can take. And communications is one that just piqued my interest. It was a challenge for me. And uh, I like solving problems and the challenge it, it, it presented. Absolutely. And what made you choose via space? I like the the family or the family aspect of this company and, and what they stand for. You know, being green and uh, being able to scale to any size they need for any mission they need. Wow. How about you, Mr. Rick? Can you tell us a little bit about yourself and what you do? I am uh, the avionics engineer, senior engineer um, for uh, Via Space. Um, I have been uh, involved in avionics um, for nearly 40 years, going back to when I was in the Air Force as an avionics technician. Um, had worked for NASA in avionics or a NASA contractor in avionics. Um, and uh, I came down to Florida, worked for Lockheed Martin for a while in avionics, and then uh, uh, transitioned over to VIA because I saw um, they uh, they had new ideas, they had new things. I'm always looking to learn something new. And um, uh, so they just, they had some really cool ideas uh, regarding um, their uh, technology. And I just wanted to be a part of that. Absolutely. And what made you get into avionics as a whole? You know, you joined the Air Force and what really inspired you to do that? Um, I would have to say my uncle. My my uncle was uh, uh, an electronics technician for NASA, and uh, we got to talking. It was something that I always wanted to do, um, so I started with getting into uh, electronics in high school, uh, and then after high school, went into the Air Force. Um, I've always been interested in uh, in aircraft. Um, I'm of the era of the space race and everything. So it was something that I always felt was my calling to get into. And so uh, being able to see how uh, things had progressed, technologies progressed over the years, um, I've just uh, been blessed to fall into something that I love to do. Absolutely. And uh, what exactly is avionics? Avionics is... Uh, it's from a, the words aviation electronics. So it is uh, specifically um, uh, the melding together of the control systems, the um, uh, navigation systems, uh, and, uh, and guidance of uh, electronics uh, as they relate to um, anything that flies, um, whether it's uh, an aircraft or um, uh, a traditional fixed wing or rotor wing 
aircraft, spacecraft. Um, that's where uh, avionics lives. Wow. So you mentioned your interest in, in aircraft. Have you ever flown in an aircraft, a plane? I've not. I've not flown. Um, I have uh, the. I've had uh, the opportunity to work in a lot of simulators uh, in aircraft and avionics simulators um, as part of uh, uh, a NASA job. Uh, we were tasked with doing uh, some of the new um, air urban um, vehicles. Um, kind of like a, think of it as a, uh, autonomous Uber, uh, if you will, where you would get on one, on an aircraft on one building and it would fly you to another without a pilot. Um, this is kind of the, uh, um, uh, task that we were put to by, by NASA. Um, my master's degree is in, uh, uh autonomous, uh, vehicles. Um, so it kind of lent its way toward, uh, toward that task. Wow. Absolutely. Now I would have to assume that rocket avionics and airplane avionics are very similar, like you said. And, uh, would you say that being in the air force and doing those avionics has greatly increased your ability here to continue that? Yes, absolutely. Um, in the Air Force, uh, even though it was a, a while ago, um, everything that I have done has um, moved me toward this career. Um, and uh, even in the Air Force, when you learn how to troubleshoot um, components, you learn how to troubleshoot at a, a level. Um, you have to understand the first part of troubleshooting is understanding the system. So you have to know um, now technology has changed over the years, but the, but all of the components uh, remain the same. You still have uh, accelerometers and gyroscopes and computers and, and um, uh, the electrons all flow the same. Um, it's just uh, the new technology that, that, that they flow through. Um, so uh, if you learn how a system works um, at the most basic level, uh, you can apply that to uh, anything that you do going forward. Wow. Absolutely. Now, Mr. Josh, can you tell us a little bit about some of the challenges that you face when you take a rocket prototype uh, on a small scale and you have to size it up to a full size? Yeah, so here the difference between our demonstrator and our Dauntless launch vehicle, uh, demonstrators are prototyping had very little avionics and control systems on it. And um, the challenge has been incorporating the guidance, navigation controls, and some of the new avionics pieces, uh, especially on the guidance side, because some of those algorithms are hard to build and put together, and they're just time-consuming. It's, it's getting everything to play nice together and fit perfectly. Wow, absolutely. Now, I understand you don't use a lot of uh, software modeling programs. Uh, what are some steps that you take to measure twice and cut once? Um, well, CAD's a great example. You could put anything into CAD and um, you could put it in your higher level 
you know, files and make sure everything fits together. Uh, CAD's a great tool for that. Absolutely. Now, Mr. Rick, I understand that Biospace started working with pressure fit driven engines, but you have transitioned to turbine driven. Can you explain the difference between those engines and why you transitioned? Uh, yeah, yep. Um, I was talking, uh, knowing about this question, I uh, um, had talked to some of our propulsions group about this. This is more of a propulsions question, um, but um, it is because we started and in our demonstrator, um, we used a nitrous oxide system. So it was a pressure fed system. Um, the physics and the complexity of the system now going to a liquid oxygen as our oxidizer has pushed us toward um, using a turbo pump. Um, so uh, we no longer have to have the high pressure vessels on our vehicle anymore that have to hold those tremendous pressures. Um, we can basically hold uh, something that is, it's a high pressure, um, feeding the uh, turbo pump, but then the turbo pump is what actually builds up that pressure just before it goes into the uh, engine. Wow, definitely a huge uh, improvement. And I see how that can be important in that transition, like you said. Now, uh, Mr. Josh, when people hear the word electrical engineer, I think their mind jumps to electricians and thinks of electricians. But from my understanding and talking with some of your peers, it it seems more about the math and physics of electricity. Uh, can you explain how your job works? Yeah, so as an electrical engineer, you have to understand how electricity flows, uh, other components to it, how to design circuits, um, just not installing them, but you have to know the physics and math behind it to design and make sure everything plays right and you don't you know, short anything out, catch fires, um, with electricians, I believe it's more of like installation and maintenance of electrical systems. Um, the schooling is also different. Um, with electricians, you go through vocational school and then do a apprenticeship. And then you can get your, your state license. With electrical engineers, it's a four-year degree uh, in electrical engineering. Wow, absolutely. Now, uh, Mr. Rick, I heard it said today... Uh, that today your cell phone has more computer power than all of NASA back in 1969 when we placed two astronauts on the moon. Uh, with that said, exactly. how are you harnessing the new technology for flight instrument systems and long-range navigation systems? Well, um, one thing is um, when we, in 1969, the system that we did have um, for um, putting man on the moon or just for getting an air, getting a, a spacecraft into space, the computer itself was was about the size of a small refrigerator, um, and it was had much less power. Um, so what we have when we when we are doing things for space now, we have a system. We have a a thing that we called swap. It's uh, size, weight, and power. Um, so we have to make sure that we look at that. Uh, what is our swap for any given system? Uh, the swap for a, a computer back then was huge compared to what we have now. So we can um, uh, put more computing power 
into a much smaller space with much less weight and much less power. Um, so what that gives us as, as VIA is for every kilogram of uh, overhead that we save in our vehicle gives us another kilogram of payload to put into space. So this is why we're so careful with this. Um, and uh, so as far as the technology is concerned, um, we have, uh, we're, we're able to have much faster um, computer power that, than we had uh, in 1969. And um, the, uh, although I, I, I'm very big into looking at the historical systems and I take nothing away from those engineers. They were geniuses, the ones that came up with, with these systems. I invite everybody to go and look at the, uh, the systems that were on the Apollo modules because they were um, very innovative in what they did with what they had. Um, and I think uh, uh, that we, we as engineers can learn a lot from them in keeping that innovation alive uh, in what we do. Absolutely. And uh, another question I have kind of adding on to this is when you were in the Air Force, uh, you worked with avionics and now you're working with avionics again at Bias Space. And have you seen that change in avionics as the time has passed firsthand? Yes. Yes. Um, I used to I used to teach um, at a college and um, when I uh, the last thing that I told students that were getting ready to graduate was uh, just because you're graduating doesn't mean that you're, you stop learning. Um, as engineers, it is uh, very important for us, um, especially electrical engineers, to pick up and keep learning because the things that I learned um, uh, as a young engineer are gone. Now, most of them are gone. Um, I've had to self-study. I've had to learn new systems and the way things work now, or uh, I, I, my, my uh, knowledge would become irrelevant. So um, in seeing and watching how avionics has progressed over the years, um, that is uh, one of my, uh, the, my favorite things about this job is, uh, if I if I'm not learning something, I'm bored, and so I have to keep uh, keep on learning. Absolutely. Now, Mr. Josh, picking up, piggybacking off of a earlier question, uh, what is your favorite thing about math? So with math, there's so many things I like about it, but probably the number one thing and is, is problem solving. It teaches you confidence once you figure out, hey, I can solve these problems. And you can take that confidence all the way through your life. Um, I had a teacher in high school that told me there's always more than one way to Walmart. So this, this is true with math. There's no one correct way to solve a problem. As long as you get to the final answer and it's correct. I mean, that just shows, you know, you're using your critical thinking there to solve these problems and, and, and solve them yourself. Absolutely. Now, another kind of strange question I have is, uh, in working with a space agency, do you have to learn celestial navigation? Um, 
in the field I'm in, I have no background in celestial navigation. Um, probably in guidance, navigation, and control, you will, or if you specialize with like GPSs. But um, as far as I do, I do not have any background. Now, uh, Mr. Rick, what has been the most challenging barrier that you've come across and how have you overcome it? Uh, at VIA itself, um, it's uh, the fact that this is uh, such a new company um, that we are doing stuff, doing things. Our, um, our department is very small and we are doing things uh, that have never been done before uh, in this company, for one, and um, as a whole, uh, with some of the engines that we're that we're using, these are brand new uh, engine, brand new engine technology, um, and we're learning how to control them. Um, so uh, we are overcoming uh, a lot of the knowledge barriers, um, and uh, having to sit and do a lot of thinking, uh, and and um, working with uh, with other departments. Um, to understand uh, the intricacies of how the system works so that we can apply our expertise to it. Um, and so when you become an engineer, whatever kind of engineer you, you become, um, uh, as an electrical engineer, I'm not, I can't pigeonhole myself to just electrical engineering. I have to understand the physics and the um, the mechanical side of things too, because of having to, uh, control how those systems work. So that, that's a lot of it is just, um, working across platform with other, with other knowledges. Absolutely. Now, uh, Mr. Josh, I know we talked about how important problem solving skills are, but how important do you feel critical thinking skills are? And what do you do to sharpen your critical thinking skills? Yeah, critical thinking skills, it's, it's very important in engineering because you have to learn how to think outside the box and, and solve problems. Um, just with critical thinking, it helps you make uh, better decisions and less mistakes. If you take a second step back and think through a problem, you're less likely to make that mistake. Um, a good way to sharpen your, your thinking skills is collaborate with your, your peers. Um, turn your brain into a sponge and, and listen to everything they have to say. And, and you're learning through that process. Um, challenge yourself in any way. Read, challenge yourself, question yourself. The more you question yourself, the stronger you'll be uh, answering these questions. Right. Absolutely. Now, uh, kind of a question for both of you. We'll start with Mr. Rick. Uh, What's the favorite part of your job? Oh, the challenges. It's everything we've talked about. It's the challenge. It's the learning. It's having to apply myself. Um, it's waking up sometimes in the middle of the night and having a eureka moment of, of having figured out something uh, that has been um, uh, on my mind. Um, I do uh, a lot of different things around here. And so... Um, uh, I'll go to bed thinking about a problem and wake up in the middle of the night with an answer. The favorite part of my job is not going to work every day. And what I mean by that 
is this is my passion. It's more like a field trip every day. You're, you're constantly learning. You know, it's people say school is a bad thing, but in this career, you're always learning. So like you're almost in school again. And, and you know, me learning every day is, is a passion. Um, it's not work. And, and space is a challenge. It's not easy. Um, but you, you make it what it is. I mean, absolutely. Now, uh, my final questions for you are, is there any last words or pieces of advice that you would give to people who want to do what you want to do? Mr. Rick? Um, find a passion, love what you do. Um, because like Josh said, if you love what you, what you do, um, it's not, it's not work. It's not drudgery to come to work. Um, you're, uh, you're blessed to be able to, to walk into a place uh, and, and do what you love. Yeah. I'm just going to have to piggyback on Rick on this one. Make sure it's your passion. Make sure it's something you love. Um, and it won't be work. I mean, your days go by quick some days, but it, it's not work. It, it's a passion. You don't mind getting out of bed in the morning. Can I ask you, can I ask you a question? Okay. Um, what, what made you interested in, um, following this career? Well, for me, I think it all kind of started when I was a lot younger and my parents kind of decided to take me not to a regular theme park like Disneyland or Universal, but they took me to Kennedy Space Center. And instead of riding on roller coasters, you know, I got to go tour the Rocket Garden and see the space shuttles and watch rocket launches and seeing the immense power behind it and everything that's out there beyond just the big blue sky that you see. Uh, I felt like it was calling to me and I knew that's what I wanted to do. And now I've been just really figuring out how to get there. It's becoming a passion. Yes, sir. Yep. Um, yep. I started, I started in electronics in my sophomore year in high school. I went through my junior and senior year and so you're in a good place. You're in a good place to, to start figuring out that passion. Well, thank you. Thank you so much, Mr. Josh and Mr. Rick for joining us today and answering some questions. And uh, thank you to all the viewers for joining us today on Viaspace Ask an Engineer podcast. Make sure to go like, subscribe, and follow on all platforms at Viaspace. And if you have any questions, feel free to send them into media at viaspace.com. Again, I'm your host, John Humphreys, and we'll see you next time.